Well, hello, everyone. Would you pray with me, please, as we open God's word? Father in heaven, I say this every time, but I don't know what I'd do without your word. So thank you for it. As we open our Bibles, I just pray that all of us are willing for the next few minutes to just put life aside and just hear from you. We know that you have such wonderful teaching for us right where we're at. So I just pray that our spiritual ears, our spiritual eyes will be open so that we hear from you today. In Jesus' name, amen. This is my Bible. I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true. And it's all that I need. Psalm 24. Did any of you have to memorize this psalm for school or whatever? I know I did. And so I just wanted to take it apart. As a little child, I could quote it. But as an adult, I really want to know what it means line by line. So as I started this psalm and I read it through my first time, I thought, what is the principle? What, what do I think David is trying to get me to see from this psalm? And I, and I kind of titled it on my paper, The Great, The One and Only Sovereign God. It's like, I think David wants me to see, to just stop, to just stop now and then and see who he really is. To see how great, how sovereign he really is. And then as I read those first two verses, I thought, when was the last time I really sat there and was in awe? of who he is. Sometimes I think even studying God's word from week to week, and I think sometimes we take him for granted. We take for granted who he really is. And I really think that this psalm just kind of opens up and tells the whole story of his relationship with you and I. But it has to start with you and I seeing him for who he is. So here we go. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all who live in it. For he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. The whole earth is the Lord's. And everything in it. That means you. That means me. The world. Not just planet earth, but the whole world. And all who live in it. For he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. He's the creator of the world. He's the creator of our planet Earth. He's the creator of seas, all waters. He's the creator of everything. Are you awed yet? I'm kind of going through this slow so that you will just have time to just picture him. 
Picture him in all of his glory, in all of his authority, in all of his power. It's chilling, isn't it? I mean, it's just, it gives you, it gives you chills because you think that someday you and I are going to stand in front of him. And I think the rest of this psalm kind of helps us get ready for that. Are we ready to stand in front of this great, almighty, sovereign God? Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? See, there's the question. Who is going to have that chance? to stand in his holy place, to stand in his presence. See, it's not something that everybody can assume that they're going to experience. This is only reserved, this experience is only reserved for the ones who followed his terms of redemption and salvation. Because in Genesis 3, human nature lost that right. But only because of God's unfailing, unconditional love, he came up with a plan so that we could experience this. You know, you're reminded of this phrase that we're all God's children. Now, that's not a true statement. God knows us all because he's created us all. But to be classified his child, the only way we are going to be able to have that privilege to stand before him is if we're his child. And that has been given to those who have clean hands and a pure heart. You don't just waltz into his presence. In fact, I think even when we, when we go to him in prayer, when we close our eyes and when we're, when we're talking to him and I think we have to be aware of the only way that we have that privilege to go before the throne is because of the sacrifice of Jesus. Because God the Father came up with that, that one and only plan. What does it mean, you as clean hands? Clean hands your heart, when you have clean hands, it's because you have a pure heart, because your heart has been made right. You have a right relationship with the Lord. You have taken that humbling walk to the cross in repentance for who you are and you are, you are needy of the salvation that only Jesus can give. 
So the only way that you and I will have that privilege now and then literally is if we have clean hands and a pure heart. If we have been to the cross and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. And then he says, and who does not lift up his soul to an idol. Who does not lift up his soul to an idol. And maybe we're flippant about that line because we, we don't worship any idols. We don't have a little figurine that we bow down to. But in a sense, we do. We have idols. If anything of this world, whether it be a thing or person, that we think we can't live without, if we can't even fathom living out, living without this thing or person, you have made that thing or person an idol. That means you depend more on that than your dependence on God himself. And I think you know from Exodus 20 that we should have no other gods before him. And then he also says, or swear by what is false. You know, you know what that can easily mean? Or swear by what is false? It's like falling into today's culture. It's like if you are not allowing the Holy Spirit to check your spirit continuously, it is so easy to just fall prey to what the world is saying. And you start getting sucked up into the world's mold. And you start drifting away from the black and white principles of God. By accepting the world's culture is like swearing by what is false. So that kind of makes you think, doesn't it? It kind of makes you think, are you ready to meet that awesome God? And then in the very next verse, who can do that? Who's going to be able to? Only those. See, what a beautiful way of saying the gospel. These are the gospel terms. The only way you can have a pure heart, clean hands, is through the blood of Jesus, through the cross, through your humility, through your repentance. And then to take a look at your life and say, is God my number one priority? Does my focus go to him first? Or am I clinging to him most? Or am I holding on to something or someone a whole lot tighter than I am him? Am I accepting all of what the world is saying is right? 
I think there's so much of the, of the things the world is saying right, they're just biblically wrong. But again, if you don't know biblical truth, if you don't study your Bibles, if you don't know what it says, then you aren't going to know. And you will be sucked up into the world's mold because they have a way of making it sound so appealing to your flesh. Verse 5. He will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God his Savior. So, in other words, this verse is like, okay, these are the requirements. This is how you can get to stand in his presence. And if you are willing to follow that, then you will experience his blessing. He, you will receive a blessing from the Lord. And I couldn't, I couldn't help but go to Ephesians chapter 1 because Ephesians chapter 1, Paul talks about the blessings. And the blessings, when we see the word blessings in God's word, it's so much more than physical blessings. The blessings that he wants to give him surpass human physical blessings, material things, by a million fold. Paul says these words in Ephesians 1, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And then he, he tells us what some of our blessings are. He has chosen us. He's adopted us. He's forgiven us. He's redeemed us. He's given us the riches of his grace. He lavishes us with wisdom and understanding. Those are the blessings that we want. And we will receive those blessings. And we will be vindicated from God, his Savior. We will be made right. It's that same thing. We, we will not get what we do deserve. And what we, and what we get, we don't deserve. And what we don't get, what we do deserve. We will be made right. We will be vindicated. We will be set free. Boy, that's a great verse, isn't it? You can almost feel the heaviness just lift. When we have followed God's terms of salvation, and even though it, it is so hard to humble ourselves to a pulp, to really take a good look at what and who we really are. As tough as that is, I mean, look what you get. You get heavenly blessings to wake up with every morning. You can know, blessed assurance, I have been vindicated. I have been made right. I've been set free from the 
guilt of my past. Such is the generation of those who seek him. Such is the generation of those who seek him. You know, if we follow those first five verses, can you imagine what our family sees, what neighbors see, what friends see? When, when you live out clean hands and a pure heart, when you live out freedom because you've been vindicated, you've been set free, when you live in the heavenly blessings, can you imagine what a legacy you and I can leave? When he talks about such is the generation of those who seek him, I, I kind of made it personal. Such is my life. Such is my life. Because I sought him. Because I followed his terms. Because I was willing to humble myself and go to the cross and see my need for him. Who then filled me with his spirit who then allowed me to live life to the fullest and abundantly. To know that my countenance is changed, my thoughts, my purpose, my worth, my actions, which are being witnessed by people that I love the most. And we are all concerned about the kind of legacy we're going to leave. A lot of times we're more concerned about the trust that we're going to leave them than what did we leave them when they remember us? What are they going to remember about our lives? When he said, such is the generation, such is the life who seeks him, who seek your face, O God of Jacob. See, even though he's talking to God's covenant people, but, but that's you and me, once we've been to the cross, we now are one of his covenant people. And so I think it's perfectly fine to say, such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, O oh God, O oh God of Linnell. To be able to just know that when you seek him, and then it's like he wants you to draw in even closer. You seek him, that you even seek his face. That to me was even like, let me tell you, I want you closer than even seeking me. I want I want. You're to seek my face. And I want people to know that he has been my God. Put your name there. And then think about what are people seeing 
Are they seeing verses 1 to 5 of Psalm 24 in your life? That should be our desire to pass on to the next generation. We see a Selah there. Do you know that is like a, a pause? It's like, it's like David put that there because he wants us to stop a minute and think about those first six verses. Just think about those first six verses. Don't rush it. Let's just pause. And then as we move to verse 7, lift up your heads, O you gates. That's when I saw that this psalm, even though it's just got, what, 10, 10 verses, is divided into three sections. The first section is the greatness of our God. The greater the owner of everything. The second section that we just went through is how you and I can have a relationship with this great God. I mean, there's the, there's the crux, there's the meat of this. You love the first two verses. You love picturing him in all of his glory. But the second part is, how can I have a relationship with this great God? And then as we move into this final few verses, it's like this third section is, you can picture God welcoming. If you're willing to see the first section and then the second section, and then after we do our part, by making sure that we see ourselves unworthy, but we see him at the cross and all of his glory welcoming and beckoning us there, and we're willing to be obedient. It's like in that third section, God is saying, welcome, I will lift I will open my gates for you. I will open my gates for you. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors. And the king of glory may come in. Now, in my studying a little bit, I at that time that David probably wrote Psalm 24. The Ark of the Covenant was coming into Jerusalem. And you know, the Ark of the Covenant was, back in the Old Testament, symbolic of the presence of God. I found that in 2 Samuel 6, 11 to 18. So, it could mean that the Ark of the Covenant is coming into Jerusalem when David writes, the King of Glory may come in. 
or it could be David being prophetic. It could be David saying, Jesus ascending back into heaven to regain his rightful place after coming to this earth and fulfilling his mission. He comes back in to his glory. Or, and I love this one, I love this one. When you read, and the, that the king of glory, lift up your heads, all your gates. Lift up you ancient doors that the king of glory may come in. Each of our individual hearts, each of us individually, we say that he opens up our heart as we are willing to let him come in. He will come in. Each individual heart is open so the king of glory may come in. I, I couldn't help but write on the side of my Bible. Yay! I accepted that invitation. He lifted up the gates. I lifted up the gates. Working together, he did his part. I did my part. And the king of glory came in. I couldn't help but go to Revelation 3. I was reminded of this. When Jesus told John to write to the seven churches, the last church was the church of Laodicea. And Jesus was so concerned about this particular church. Or as we know, these churches are individuals. I mean, through these churches, he's speaking to each and every one of us. It's like he's in this particular church, Laodicea, he's speaking to church people who haven't really discovered Jesus. They've discovered church attendance, listening to every sermon, taking communion, symbolic of the death of our Savior. But yet they've never made Jesus theirs. I just keep saying, they cannot humble themselves to take that walk to Calvary. So Jesus says these words, but it also verifies what David said, and the king of glory may come in. How are we guaranteed that the king of glory will come in? When we know that Jesus has done his part, you and I have done our part, then how can we be sure that the king of glory is really coming to live in our heart? Jesus says these words in Revelation 3, verse 19. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If, 
mean, no, I'm doing my part, Jesus is saying. I'm willing to lift up the gate. But you've got to do your part to help lift the gate. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will eat with him and I will be with him and he will be with me. I don't think you and I need any more guarantee than that. Those are from the words of Jesus himself. I did my part. You do your part. You open the door. I can't wait to come in. There's our guarantee. Who is this king of glory? It's like David wants us to kind of go back to that first that first verse and not take it for granted. Who is this king of glory? Oh, yeah, that's right. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all who live in it. He is the Lord, strong and mighty. He is the Lord, mighty in battle. He knows we're going to have battles. He knows life is tough. He knows self is huge. And we're suckers to it. He knows we're going to be in a battle. But he is the Lord. And he is strong and mighty. And he is there to be mighty through his spirit. Through the full armor of God, our relationship with Jesus Christ. He knows then we are fit for battle. Lift up your gates. Lift up your heads, oh you gates. Don't miss this. Lift up. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Let him come in. Let him change your life. Let him give you all that he promised. Let him give you assurance, abundant life, confidence in him. The promises that he's given us, especially of a future. Let the king of glory come in. And then he says, again, who is that king of glory again? Oh, yeah, that's right. There is none other. The Lord Almighty. He is. He is the king of glory. And he can be yours and he can be mine. And then you see another one of those words, don't you? Selah. Let's reflect on that for a while. The fact that the king of glory will come in, that is just no small thing. Heavenly Father, we are in awe of you. May we go over this many times so we never, 
take you for granted. Lord, we just give you ourselves. We know that the best thing that we can give you, that's our best way to say thank you. Lord, we just give you all praise and glory. Wish we could just break out in song. Majesty, majesty. King of kings, Lord of lords. Jesus is the Lord of all. All my possessions, all my life. Jesus is Lord of all. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.